You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for a new show of the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us in our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what's up, man? Happy Sports Equinox. All four major sports finally playing on the same day. Happy Thursday night for Thursday Night Football and Major League Baseball playoffs, NBA, and NHL. And it'll happen again on Saturday and Sunday. What a week. Week in sports with the Yankees, the Jets four and two, the Giants five and one, and the Knicks starting, the Islanders two and two, and the Rangers three and one, moving in the right direction for New York sports, except the Yankees, of course. So the Yankees down 2-0, Aaron Boone complaining about the Astros opening their roof, and that hurt him. I think it was a lot to do with the umpires. In game number one and game number two, the strike zone was all over the place as we had a very special guest and he gave us some interesting information about how bad game number one was for the New York Yankees and the umpires that were just absolutely horrendous for the New York Yankees against the unbelievable firepower of the Houston Astros. We will get into the Elijah Moore situation, requesting a trade officially ruled out versus the Broncos. Robert Sala came out and pretty much said why he's ruling him out. He didn't know the game plan. He's been away from the team for the last 24 to 48 hours. Another player that we've been waiting to see this year for the New York Jets, Denzel Mims. Another guy that was requesting a trade before the season started, will get his opportunity to prove himself this weekend. Christian McCaffrey traded to the 49ers for a two, a third, a fourth, and next year's fifth round 2024 pick. San Francisco will have no draft this year. They put all their eggs in one basket. Hopefully that basket brings them a Super Bowl finally, because if it doesn't, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch will be looking for a job. Three for all picks of the week, as I am just to Destroying the speedster. Moneyline Mania, Chaz, and our new friend, Paolo, who will be joining us from Greece. The Knicks and Nets start the season, so we'll recap their first games. And Rangers, Islanders, about to start their war on Wednesday. I will be at the UBS Arena, as the Rangers and the Islands, only time this year, will be playing at the UBS Arena. All the ladies and gentlemen that had the opportunity to watch the game before our show, the Islanders and Lightning. I'm sure you have your own thoughts about what happened. We'll get into all the craziness in hockey. Why don't we get into it? I know a lot of Yankee fans are sitting here today and they're not very happy. I wouldn't be happy. And I know everybody's trying to find an excuse right now on why they're losing in this series. But there's only one reason why on the reason why they're losing. And that's because they can't hit a lick. And maybe it's because of the umpiring, because it's been absolutely horrendous. I will not excuse what they have done so far in Houston, because it's 
uncalled for. And even though they're not getting the strike zone and they're not getting the calls, this is still one of the best offensive teams in the MLB. And to go into Houston and looking as bad as they have been so far in this series, especially in game number one with 17 strikeouts, and then game number two, there was 12. It's just embarrassing how many strikeouts from the New York Yankees. And the whole Bader situation with Aaron Boone, Bader didn't know that he was hitting leadoff in game number two. I don't know what's going on with the Yankees, and there's a disconnect with this team right now. But... Baseball definitely have to look at the umpires in game number one when Justin Verlander was on the mound. Tyone, who is a strikeout pitcher, over, I think, 150 strikeouts in four and a half innings, didn't have one strikeout. That is alarming. Horrible umpire play. Aaron Boone should not be complaining about the Astros' roof being open. I think that is a ridiculous argument. But he has something to argue about with the umpires. Now, if he does do that, he's probably going to be fined by the MLB. The Yankees are trying to find something. They're pulling straws right now trying to figure out what is the reasoning behind on how bad they have played in the first two games in the series. This Yankee team is going to be looked at if they don't win this series. What was the season like after all the greatness of Aaron Judge breaking the home run record, almost winning a triple crown? And this Yankee team, which in the second half of the season was just absolutely horrendous, came back and played so well. The Yankees made a couple of trades that hopefully was going to transition his team with Frankie Montez and Harrison Bader, which everybody was complaining about. It's been remarkable what he has done so far in the playoffs. He's probably been the best Yankee, but it's just been crazy. I'm still worried about this team going into game four. I'm starting to worry about where this organization is after this season if they don't get out of this ALCS. First of all, I want to shout out Mike Pinto, who is the guest we had on on Thursday. Chief Operating Officer for a independent baseball league team called the Southern Illinois Miners that the ownership just had to sell. He sent us the graphic. Yes. Uh, Mike McChlinsky was the umpire behind home plate and Horrible. called strike accuracy 86% in that game, which is below the league average, and 93% overall consistency, which is also below the league average, and a .43 favored run differential for the Astros. What does that tell you? A lot of a missed lot. balls that were called strikes. It seems like the other thing that you were talking about, the trade deadline acquisitions that they're missing, is the one that was a big contact hitter, and that's Ben Intendi. A different spark in that lineup because the Yankees have a lot of power guys. Stanton's hit in the postseason, but still struck out a lot. Labor Torres hit in certain points of the postseason, but he struck out a lot. Aaron Judge has struck out a ton. Ben Intendi was supposed to be that guy at that trade deadline, and DJ LeMahieu, who's also still out with the foot injury, is the other guy that's supposed to be a very good contact hitter for them, and that's still being lacked from the Yankees. You talk about all this power, run-scoring prowess, but they still have had this problem when it comes to a postseason identity. The starting pitch exactly has been pretty good. Garrett Cole's had his best postseason so far with the Yankees. Nestor Cortez has looked good. It hasn't trouble. been their starting pitching. It's been their bullpen. The lineup. When you watch this team, you wonder if they're playing with a bunch of crypt keepers. It's <laughs> Halloween, so maybe they're playing with a bunch of dead people because I don't know what is going on with this Yankee team. Well, their bats are being haunted. And that has a lot to do with maybe the umpires. But it also has to deal with their approach at the plate. You say the approach at the plate. How are you supposed to have an approach at the plate when you don't know what the strike zone is? Most of the strikes ones that they were Below the at. knees. Yeah. I think the Yankees still are on a long swinging approach, and I've said that's been a problem for them in previous postseasons. Even when they do swing. You talked about it last week with Cleveland. Like, they were getting good contact hits in addition to staying alive in the count with two strikes. The Yankees really aren't doing that. I understand some of the looking strikeouts. Most of the bad strikeouts have come on looking. The approach. That's 
on them, not on the umpires exclusively. The umpiring is really bad, especially in that game one, late in the game, six through nine innings. But some of it is also the Yankees' approach. But also, back to Aaron Boone, it takes three hours to change the roof before a game. It's not something they changed in the seventh inning just because Aaron Judge was off the plate. That's not manipulation. Nice try, Aaron Boone. Please come on with this Josh Donaldson thing, yes. too. He is absolutely horrendous. This offseason, the Yankees need to find a third baseman or move DJ LeMayu to third base because I don't want to see any more of Josh Donaldson. I've seen enough of Josh Donaldson. I want to throw up every time Josh Donaldson is up. How many times did we see Justin Verlander just throw a 97-mile-per-hour fastball right down the middle and Josh Donaldson couldn't even smell it? Every time he swung at it, it felt like there was going to be a hurricane. That's how bad it was. He's horrendous. Move kind of Falefa over to third base. I'd rather watch him at least put contact on the ball and give them a chance to even score a run or maybe get lucky that it squeaks past the third baseman or the second baseman and gives the Yankees a chance to getting a run. Josh Donaldson can't even put contact on the ball. I want to hear about his double in game number two. Who cares? I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to see it anymore. Right now, the Yankees need to figure out how to put wins on the board and figure out how to get back in Houston, either up 3-2 to two or down 3-2 to two and trying to win those last two games in Houston, which they haven't done all season long. The Yankees have had problems winning games in Houston. In this series, I blame the umpires because in game number one, they had a chance to win that game. Before the Schmidt thing, it was just 1-1. The Yankees had a chance to win. They just can't score runs. They need to figure out how to score runs early in these games if they plan to beat Houston. They have to pull off a Washington Nationals World Series comeback that they had. They won all four games in Houston when Houston at home field, and the Yankees will have to do that. Speaking of the ex-National, Bryce Harper is up 2-1 to one against the Padres. My surprise team going into the playoffs is Philadelphia. If Philadelphia gets out of this series, do I think Philadelphia can knock off the Yankees or Houston? Absolutely. I I don't know what's going on with this team, but the belief in Thompson as the manager, this rotation has been unbelievable. And I'm not talking about Zach Wheeler, Nola, and Suarez, Gibson. Gibson. Everybody is pitching well for this team right now, and they're getting runs from players that you wouldn't expect in this lineup. It's not the Bryce Harpers of the world, or it's Castellanos, Schwarber. It's the guys that you wouldn't expect giving you the runs. This is a team that was really built not for this year. It was built to be a winner, hopefully, more sooner than later, after starting the season with Joe Girardi, now adding Thompson, bench coach for the Philadelphia Phillies, one of Joe Girardi's good friends, and now you're seeing what's the difference when you add a different manager, a different voice in a locker room. It's really been unbelievable, and why not Philadelphia this year? An organization that's been craving a championship since the 2000s, when they were dominant and they lost against the Yankees in 2009. It's unbelievable. It's really fun to watch right now. Weird, too, because Phillies are kind of the opposite of what you see with the team building now in baseball, too. You look at a team like the Braves that have been building young players, making great trades, the model consistency, great contracts. The Phillies, they spent a lot of money, and we were mocking it at the beginning of the season, how bad their position player defense was, and we've seen teams get eluded by that in the postseason that looked like better defensive teams. The Phillies really have been stellar defensively so far. They had a couple errors in Game 3 of the Padres series, but beyond that, that was their first ones all postseason. Their bullpen is not great, which in a depth pitching error, you would expect to have something. It's not like they're even having their starters come out of their bullpen a lot either. Syndergaard did once. I think Gibson did once, but that was it. They're really just doing it on kind of raw starting pitching and just great lineup depth. It's kind of a counterculture to what we've seen of the way teams are building now. And it's one of the scrappier teams that we've seen since the Nationals winning in 2019. They're probably a little more talented overall in the Nationals, but it's a similar kind of underdog storyline and managerial change that's really sparky. I think that's the only reason why this is going on right now. They believe in Thompson 
everybody is buying in. When you want to win a championship and you're ready to win, look at the Jets right now. They're buying into Robert Sala. Dable has the Giants, the lonely Giants. Nobody would have thought would be 5-1 today. Why? Not because of talent, because they believe in their coach. You need a belief that no matter how talented your team is, you can go out there on any given Sunday just like you can go out there in any playoff game and knock off the better team. When we come back, we're going to get into the New York Jets. They're playing great football. And then this week, a player of Elijah Moore's gratitude, complaining that he's not seeing the ball enough and saying that he wants to be traded and trying to force his way out of New York. Robert Sala has his own words for that. So does Joe Douglas, that Elijah Moore will be a Jet. There's no way they're trading him. So we'll get into that. Christian McCaffrey gets traded to the 49ers here on the weekend crunch. Or run or maybe get lucky that it squeaks past the third baseman or the second baseman and gives the Yankees a chance to getting a run. Josh Donaldson can't even put contact on the ball. I want to hear about his double the game number two. Who cares? I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to see it anymore. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to Android and checking us out. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, Odell Beckham, man. The Giants name has been brought up for Odell Beckham, also the Dallas Cowboys. You look at Odell Beckham, he can absolutely change a team. He can change a franchise. I still think he's capable of going out there and putting up the numbers. I think he would fit best with the New York Giants because they don't have a star wide receiver. Daniel Jones would absolutely look his way. Slayton slowly but surely looking like he's a good number two, but he's not a number one. The Giants are definitely missing that now that Galladay is still on the roster. I don't understand why he's still on the roster, but they got to pay him because they signed that long-term deal. Dave Gettleman signed that long-term deal, but this team could absolutely use Odell Beckham. What are your thoughts with Odell Beckham? Does he go to the Giants? Does he go to the Cowboys? I hope he goes to the Giants. I think he'll end up going to the Cowboys. This seems like a very Jerry Jones-like move to be able to bring in the flashy name. Odell Beckham, amidst all the injuries, even getting older, still one of the more popular wide receivers in the league. So we know the Cowboys, they love all the flashy players. They love to get all these big free agents. But yeah, I agree with you. I think his opportunity would be better on the Giants because he'd be the number one receiver right away. He has a chance to elevate himself back into the receiver he was and back maybe to get another good contract. I mean, he's not going to get the contract like he got with the Giants or even like he got with the Browns again. But at least to get more money later in his career and prove himself on a consistency basis, the best chance to do that is with the Giants, with Brian Dable, who's a very good offensive coach, with Daniel Jones, who's taking a big leap this year. His opportunity is going to present itself nicely as that, rather than him being the number two or even number three receiver in Dallas with CeeDee Lamb as the number one. And it's still Gallup, who's decent as a number two. We don't know what kind of role he would serve in Dallas with those skill players around him. There's a very good chance he can go to the Cowboys, but it would be very fitting if you're a Giant fan to have the 
great Odell Beckham back on that roster. Seeing his number go out there and dancing and doing the things that he does when he came to the New York Giants, when the Giants drafted him at number 12 coming from LSU. So it'd be fun to watch and it'd be very interesting to see where he goes and his decision on where he's going in the next week or so. The Buffalo Bills game, Josh Allen does not look healthy. He hasn't had a good game. He hasn't thrown over 300 yards in a game in about four weeks, which is alarming when you see the type of player that Josh Allen is. This guy was up for an MVP, and he's not the same guy. And some people say he hasn't been the same guy since Huff knocked his arm around against the New York Jets. I think he hasn't looked the same the week before that. You look at this game against a Detroit Lions team that's starting to pick up their game. They won a couple of games in a row. Their defense is starting to play well. They're putting up numbers. They have some good offensive weapons in Brown and Swift. You're seeing that the Lions are figuring things out. And the Buffalo Bills, they lost Vaughn Miller. They lost some pieces over the last couple of weeks. They're not a healthy team. Josh Allen is 100% healthy. The one-time favorites of winning the Super Bowl this year is now fighting so much injury that they might not even make the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I wouldn't trust it right now because even with Tredavious White coming back this Thursday, he did not look the same. They already lost Jordan Poyer. Micah Hyde's done for the year. You're trusting a lot of rookies and youngsters in that secondary. You mentioned Von Miller, too. If he's out for an extended period, you saw the difference that he's made. They have a lot of good young pass rushers, but none of them are great number one pass rushers. Ed Oliver's a good pass rushing defensive tackle, but none of their edge rushers were number one options. Once Von Miller came along, these other guys stepped up. Basham, Rousseau, all these guys that they drafted in the first and second round started to strive. Josh Allen, he's battled well considering his injury. You're right. He definitely doesn't look the same like MVP candidate, but I think he still played well amidst the circumstances where he's battling with the injury. He's still running well, still has some good deep throws, but yeah, he's definitely off on his decision-making in some games like he's had to force them. As far as that actual game itself, yeah, I think the Lions outplayed the Bills in that game. Just had a lot of bad penalties costing them in that game. Detroit does look really good though. This is the offense they were supposed to be in. It's showing. You're starting to see the youngsters on Detroit start to show up in the game and put up the numbers that we expected them to put up. Brown's starting to get healthy. Swift's starting to get healthy. They're starting to put up numbers defensively. They're starting to play better than they did four weeks ago when everybody thought they were going to fire their defensive corner. They were going to fire their coach. Now they're starting to believe. And Detroit's still in position where they can make the playoffs. By the way, the Jets have to play them. I don't want to see Detroit right now playing the way they are. So it's kind of scary on what the Lions were four weeks ago and what they are today. The Giants game. When you look at this game against Dallas Cowboys, you wanted to see the Giants win this game. It's a divisional game. They lost against Dallas. This was a very important game going into Dallas Thursday, Thanksgiving, where the Giants could have showed up. We've seen Eli Manning do it for years, go into Dallas and win those big games in Dallas. Well, Daniel Jones couldn't do that against a very high-flying power defense. Micah Parsons is one of the best defensive players in the league. He's right now the defensive player of the year. He called out his defense early in the week, and that defense went in and completely shut the Giants down in the second half. And that has a lot to do with the understanding of what they need to do at the line of scrimmage. And the secondary played well. They're not throwing Diggs' way. A lot of teams aren't throwing Diggs' way. They're trying to make the other corners on the other side of the field make plays. And that's been the big difference right now for the Dallas Cowboys. They're playing good football. And the only team they have to worry about in that division right now is the Philadelphia Eagles. Definitely could tell the wide receiver depth just isn't there for the Giants. Darius Slayton could only do so much. And that's a big reason that they're targeting Odell Beckham right now. They just need that spark because we've seen a blueprint now. Even Detroit, as bad of a defense as they were last week, they shut down Saquon Barkley. So if teams can shut down Saquon Barkley, it really has shown the Giants not being able to move the ball offensively. As good as Dable's scheme is, very inefficient results. Seattle kind of started with the blueprint when they beat the Giants three weeks ago. Even a team as bad as the Lions has started to take it on, and now it'll be up to the Giants coaching staff to be able 
able to adjust if Saquon isn't getting the ball the way that he did in the first eight weeks of the season. It is definitely going to be fun. These two teams are expecting Odell Beckham to make a decision on one or the other. So whoever gets Odell Beckham could get a gem moving forward in the last six games of the season. And then there was the Minnesota Vikings and the New England Patriots. It was one thing that really stood out to me, and that's Justin Jefferson. In his first three seasons, 4,248 yards and 22 touchdowns. Jerry Rice, in his first three seasons, had 3,575 yards and 40 touchdowns, which is remarkable and crazy. When you look at Justin Jefferson, he is the closest thing to Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice stayed healthy for many, many years, and Justin Jefferson, fantastic for the Minnesota Vikings. If you remember a couple of years ago, Minnesota decided to trade Stephon Diggs to the Buffalo Bills for their 22nd pick, and nobody would have thought in their wildest dreams, drafting Justin Jefferson, that Justin Jefferson was going to turn out to be one of the top three wide receivers in the league after losing one of the top wide receivers in the league because he didn't want to play over there with Kirk Cousins anymore. So it's so interesting to see a youngster really develop into the star that he's become and being compared to one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player, to play in the NFL in Jerry Rice. And playing the New England Patriots, everybody thought, what do the Patriots like to do? Shut down your best player. Shut down your best option. They could not shut down the Minnesota Vikings' best option in Justin Jefferson. And that was the difference in the game. When he needed to make a play, he needed to go up, double team, triple team, he was making the plays. That really gave the confidence in Kirk Cousins to throw the ball to Thielen, throw the ball to TJ Hawkinson, and make the plays that they needed to to hand the ball off to Dalvin Cook, which he couldn't do anything throughout the game because the Patriots like to stuff the running game. So it was a fantastic game plan by O'Connell, who was drafted by Bill Belichick and developed into a pretty good coach. Yeah, and I think the way he uses all these players creatively, and you mentioned Jefferson moves all around the field. That was a big difference between his first two years, where he still put up the numbers, but he was only really used outside of LSU slot receiver. Now he's playing all over the place, and Kevin O'Connell's doing a great job getting him into space. Finally, Kirk Cousins was able to recognize that these other guys are getting open. Hawkinson played better in that second half. Adam Thielen probably had his best game of the season. They even got some of the other secondary targets more involved, too, and that's what you need to do to be able to beat Bill Belichick, and I think Kevin O'Connell does a very good job with that. The Patriots have trouble with teams with good receiving cores. They could shut down one receiver if they drop off after that, but Justin Jefferson was able to pave the way for these other guys to play well too, in addition to him playing well too, 139 yards. All right, Speedy, let's get into it. Our three-for-all picks of the week. So we'll start with the Cincinnati Bengals, Tennessee Titans, the over-under 43 and a half. I'm going to take the Bengals. The Bengals have a matchup advantage here with a run defense that has been strong all year. Derrick Henry is the focal point of that Titans offense, but I think he gets contained in this game. Traylon Burks looks good beyond that. The Titans, I don't think, really have the receivers to stretch the field against this Bengals secondary. And while their pass rush and their defense has been good, I think the receiving depth for the Bengals has still been strong. So I do think the Bengals will take care of business here. I will take I got the Titans in this game. And I know the run defense of the Bengals has been good and everybody keeps talking about Joe Burrow, but the Titans need this game just as much as the Bengals need this game. I think Derrick Henry will put up the numbers. They're going to hand the beast a rock when he needs to. He's going to be able to get the yards that he needs, gets the yards to get him into the end zone at least once in this game. And I think they're going to be able to throw the ball. Tannehill doesn't have the weapons like A.J. Brown and Julio Jones that he had last year, but he has enough and some of these youngsters have made some pretty good plays over the last couple of weeks. I think they're the better defense. I think they're going to be able to put pressure on Joe Burrow. That offensive line is one of the worst offensive lines in football for the Bengals. So watch out for the Tennessee Titans and that defense. So give me the Tennessee Titans on the under. Next game, the Atlanta Falcons and the Washington Commanders. 
the over under 40 and a half. I'll go the road upset here. I'm going to take Atlanta on the road. I've been impressed with the way they've played in the fourth quarter this season. I think they match up well here with Washington. Even without Kyle Pitts, I, I think they can still spread the ball around nicely. The Washington secondary has not been that great. And I do think they have very creative running concepts. Defensively, they're going to get a couple players back in their secondary. They've been bad at stopping the run this year, but I think Washington will have some turnovers too that cost them. So I'll take Atlanta in this game. I will take him on the over. I'm taking Washington in this game. Henneke is really showing everybody that he is the starter of this team until further notice. He has been the surprise for the Washington Commanders. They can throw the ball. They have McLaurin. They have a good running game in Gibson. Their offensive lines played pretty well over the last couple of weeks, even though it's been one of their weaknesses. And their defense has put a lot of pressure on the opponent, and their secondaries played better. I really do like Washington in this game. They are the home team. Crowd's going to be crazy. Atlanta, they win a game, they lose a game. They win a game, they lose a game. There is no Kyle Pitts, even though they barely used him this year. And London is not 100% healthy, so I don't trust that team at all. Give me Washington on the over. Last game, Sunday Night Football. The Green Bay Packers at the Philadelphia Eagles, 46 and a half the over. I got the Eagles in this one. I think the Packers' run defense has just got awful this year, and I think that's going to be very hard for a team with Miles Sanders, even Kenneth Gainwell has won well. The receivers have run well, and obviously Jalen Hurts, who's played like a top three MVP candidate this year. I just think it's a tough matchup. Now, I think they can run the ball a little bit in the first half, but the Eagles, I think, will kind of take over in the second quarter, third quarter, and make it hard for Green Bay to be able to come back in this game. Christian Watson's looked good as a rookie, but beyond that, they really don't have much with their wide receivers to be able to come back against Darius Slaney, James Bradbury, and that pass rush. So I'm going to take the Eagles in this game. I'll take them on the under. I want to take Green Bay in this game, but the Eagles are the better team. They have the better secondary. They have the better front seven. They have the better offense. They have the better three-headed running backs. I think Aaron Jones is the better running back. I think A.J. Brown and the weapons that they have, it's too much for Aaron Rodgers to compete in this game. I like the Eagles in this game. I have the Eagles on the over. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our three-for-all picks of the week. By the way, shout out to the New York Islanders. Our show is airing after the Islander game. We're happy to be on after the Islanders and all the Islander fans that are listening. We're very thankful. Keep listening to us. We're very excited moving forward. Our show's been on the network for two years and I hope all the Islander fans are loving our hockey talk. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get into some hockey and we will be talking to NHL.com and NHL media producer Rob Tobb here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is a Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. I am very excited to get this guy back on. We haven't spoken to him in a while. We're going to get into some Rangers and Islanders hockey with him in the NHL. We are now talking to NHL.com and NHL media producer, Rob Tobb. Robbio, what's up, man? What's going on, guys? How are you? We are good, man, and you're a Jet fan. I love that. Before we get into everything and a change from the Islanders to the NHL, how have you been since we last spoke? And it was COVID time when we last spoke to you. How are you feeling? Yeah, things have been good. I'm just doing my stuff with the NHL again this year and having a blast doing it. I'm getting paid to watch hockey. I really can't complain about my situation right now and just doing my thing and loving every minute of it. Last year, the Islanders were just not 
having a good season. They did not play very well last season, and this season, it's a complete transformation. Maybe because the first month, they actually played home games, and maybe with the COVID-19 situation, they didn't lose players, nine players in two weeks. They went on a 12-game losing streak. What is the difference of this team? Is it Lambert and the way he's defined this offense and defined these lines? What do you think is the change of the New York Islanders this year? I think the difference is they're playing more aggressive offensively, and we could go on all day and night about everything that happened last year everything that happened last year it was just a combination of everything that could go wrong did go wrong and i feel like they basically threw it out the window start right after the season ended and they came into this season saying that we have a chip on our shoulders and we want to prove a point again that we're still one of the best teams in this league when they're still one of the best teams in the eastern conference and they've done that so far they're a resilient bunch they were down four to one they're only down by a goal with 10 15 left to play and they could easily tie this game they're also capitalizing on their opportunities all because they are playing more aggressive offensively they're doing a lot more more simpler things offensively instead of like last year it just seemed like everybody from the start had it rough JG Peugeot had it rough Zach Parise had it rough Matthew Barzell had it rough just all these guys that they needed to be offensive contributors didn't get off to the greatest start and they just never recovered and it hurt them in the long run because they went a long stretch without winning and COVID and everything that compiled with it it just made things that much more tougher. What we're seeing this year from them that's good is the offense is showing a lot more creativity and they're scoring a lot more goals. And I think complement that with their defense, which is still very, very solid and great goaltending from Sorokin and Varlamov. And they are where they are this year. I mean, it's still early, but there's a lot to like about it so far. So the goal scoring prowess has definitely been the biggest thing of note for the Islanders too. And a lot of the veteran guys stepping up, bouncing back. Beauvillier had a bad year bouncing back. Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, back to their top forms. How many of these players do you think could be sustainable throughout the whole year. Brock Nelson can definitely, I know he got off to a slow start again this year, but he's really come on of late. He's leading the team in goals right now. That's not a surprise. I pegged him to score 40 goals this year because I know he had a high, high shooting percentage last year, and that's why he scored 37, which was his career high, but he's a guy who could score 40 goals, and I wouldn't be surprised if he hits that this year. A guy like Anthony Pavillier, he's had a rough couple games the past couple games, but it's hit or miss with him by now. Like, that's just the way Islander fans know it by now, and basically the rest of the league knows that he's a hit or miss type of guy. He could be great on some nights, and then he could just be absolutely invisible on others. And they've needed a guy like him to step up for a long time, and it just hasn't happened. There's still a lot of season left. He can honestly go on a hot streak. You're seeing much more better production out of Zach Parise. You're seeing better production out of guys like J.G. Pajot. Andrews Lee is off to a great start this year. He's finally fully healthy, which was great to hear. But I think it took him such a long time last year to finally get his legs under him. And then once he finally found them, he's been able to bring his game back to the level he was before the injury, which was he was a goal-scoring machine. He could have had 30 goals the pandemic year the last time we spoke and that injury kind of cost him he was just never the same after that but now he's really playing to the level everyone knows he's at made the team a lot more better we are talking to nhl.com nhl media producer rob top so the rangers everybody thought that the rangers were going to be the predominant top two seed in the metropolitan division and throughout the eastern conference even though they're playing decent hockey they really haven't played at the top of their games and maybe that has a lot to do with players not playing up to par this year it's a bit of jet start strong. Panarin has been fantastic but there are other guys. They scored 50 goals last year and I said that the Rangers should trade him when he's at his high point and they decided to keep him and now this is a second year where he's not scoring goals. He's not putting the puck in the net. This is a problem for the Rangers. If they can't score goals they're not a defensive team and Shesterkin has not had a really good strong start. What do you think the problem is with the New York Rangers right now? I think the problem is everyone knows the book on them now. You see if they don't get spectacular goaltending night in and night out from Igor Shesterkin, they're a beatable team. I've seen it on a lot of nights so far this year. There's been games, the Detroit game, they were up 2-0. They end up blowing a two-goal lead, they lose in overtime. Now, Grant 
granted, Yarrow Halak was in net that, but you got to win that type of game. The Islander game, Shostarkin's in net. You have a 4-2 lead going into the third period. Got to shut it down. And they just let the Islanders run right through them in the third period. Chris Kreider, I think he's starting to find his legs again. He's starting to find that goal-scoring prowess. I do think last year might have been an anomaly. A lot of people I talk to say, like, this year, if he hit 35 goals, they'd be satisfied. And I kind of agree with that. But you score 50 goals, I think you should still be close to the 40, 45 range the following year. I think that with the Rangers, I still think their bottom six is not that strong. You're seeing it now where they're kind of flip-flopping in between keeping Ryan Reeves in the lineup, a guy who was always playing last year, mm-hmm. and now he's not. And you have guys like Capo Caco and Alexis Sofrenier who were good. They're good players. They showed in the playoffs, but it just seems like it hasn't translated so far this year. And they have a guy, Vitaly Kratsov, who just can't seem to stay on the ice. He seems to always be getting hurt, not to his own fault, but it seems like he needs to learn how to protect himself better. That's another guy that they thought was going to be a difference maker this year, especially in their bottom six. And it just hasn't worked out that way. I really don't want to speak about the defense because I think Keandre Miller is a really good player. Adam Fox is Adam Fox. He's mm-hmm. a stud. And they've got other guys like Ryan Lindgren and Zach Jones and other guys who just maybe haven't had the years that they wanted to so far. Add that up with not so great goaltending most of the time. And it's going to come back to bite him. And it has so far, but it's still very early. There's a lot of hockey left to be played. I learned this quote a long time ago. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. And we'll see who is standing in the end right now. I think the Rangers are still going to be a playoff team, but I think they so far are taking a step back. I wish Rick Nash could take that advice. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Then he wouldn't wipe out on the board so many times. Yeah. The dilemma of you break up the kid line that a lot of Ranger fans were having at the beginning of the season because they did so well in the playoffs. It was consistently their best line. And now Kapokako's gotten a lot of good first line opportunities. We've seen Lafreniere get a couple, not as much. What do you think they should approach this way? Do you think they should get the top six opportunities or do you put them back together? I think you got to find them their niche in the top six. Playoffs are a totally different ballgame than the regular season. And you'll do whatever line you think is working. That's what you're going to go with. But to put them back together, it might spark them, but it's still so early to make that decree. Like, oh, we're just going to change it just to change it, just to find a spark. Like, of course you want to find a spark, but let's say they do that. And a couple games later, like they have a really bad game together. They're going to get broken up. They're very young. They're young kids. Trying to find that right place for them in the lineup is more important right now than putting them back together. I think that that's what's going to be what gets the Rangers to have a more consistent flow offensively. Yeah, I can go look at the game they played against Arizona and they scored a bunch of goals, but that's Arizona. Arizona is not that great defensively and not that great in goal. But I look at other teams, those guys just aren't a factor most of the time. So the game plan in place should be see how things play out. And then if Gallant wants to throw them back together, you do that. But I don't think you go to that at this moment unless you're in desperation mode. We are talking to NHL.com and NHL media producer Rob Top. What is going on with the New Jersey Devils? Nobody thought they were this good. Jack Hughes is finding his legs. He's still very young, but he's finally becoming that star that everybody thought he was going to be. Nico Hershier, he's been a great player. Jesper Bratt, five foot ten, small guy, speed. He's the best player right now on this Devils team. Hamilton, who they spent a lot of money in the offseason the year before, is finally showing why they opened up their pockets for him. What is the New Jersey Devils? Are they this good? I think they are good. I can't say that they are really good. I know this run has been unbelievable for them. The way that they've won games, the way that they've stolen games. Jack Hughes, he's been a stud. What I think they're getting right now is they're getting everyone to buy in and they're getting contributions from everybody. It's not just their offense, it's their defense, it's their goaltending. Everyone I talked to in the offseason and I went on a Devils podcast with a few friends of mine and I said, they will not go anywhere this year unless they get 
goaltending. And right now they're getting it. It stinks what happened to Mackenzie Blackwood. It seems like he just has a string of bad luck. And you've got Vitek Vanacek, who last year in Washington didn't really do himself that many favors, but this year he's been tremendous. And they're getting contributions from everybody and they're playing with swagger. They're young, they're fast, they're a hard team to play against. And if you have the wrong matchup against them, they're going to expose you. And they've done it to a bunch of teams so far. But I feel I need to see this happen for a full season before I declare them a playoff team and possible real contender. I still think it's early. And I've seen where the Devils have had great starts the past couple of years. And then they just fell off the tracks. Mm. And I think a lot of that had to do with injuries, had to do with subpar goaltending, and guys just not being consistent enough. Now they're getting guys who are playing a lot more consistent hockey. Jesper Bratt is a superstar in the making. If they do not sign him, it'll be a huge, huge mistake. I do see them signing him in the offseason, not to take from the Aaron Judge playbook. I think he bet on himself this year and was like, all right, I'm going to go out there and prove I'm one of the best players in the NHL. And I'm going to make you guys pay me at the end of the day. So it's Bratt. It's huge. All their guys are running on flames right now, and it's showing. And I'm happy for my friends who are Devil fans. I just still think I'm not ready to declare them a bona fide playoff team. Can't do it just yet. Speaking of defenders that are making a lot of money, Eric Carlson has been now rumored as a potential trade candidate. The Sharks, they're only one point back of a playoff spot right now, but still struggling ever since they spent all that money and made the trade for him. So is this the time to make that kind of trade, or do you see them waiting later in the season, or maybe riding it out a little longer? I think with the way the Sharks are this year, and they're definitely in a rebuild, and their GM already said that they're willing to listen to offers. If you can get a good package for Carlson, you do it. And I think it will come more toward the deadline, or maybe even the weeks leading up to it. He's somehow found the fountain of youth this year with the way he's playing. And it's great to see because for the past couple of years, he just hasn't been in the conversation like he was when he was a Norris candidate, not even four or five years ago. So it's great to see him find his game again. And even the Sharks are a young team and he's a veteran leader on that team. And I think any Stanley Cup contender or team that is on the verge of being a playoff team, to get him and the way he's playing right now, that'd be absolutely huge. He would bring in a ton of experience. He'd bring in a guy who could definitely still produce and could still give you 20 to 25 minutes a night, which is awesome. We are talking to NHL.com and NHL media producer Rob Top. I believe Lambert. He has something instilled in these guys that never say die. The Islanders have the most third-period comebacks in the NHL this year. Even going back to last year, when they got down most of the time, they were done. They were done. They really want to push back as much. Now they are, and you're seeing it right now. Now, I heard some stories about Barry Trotz on why Lou Lamorello parted ways with him. Some people said he lost the locker room during the end of the season. Some people say that him and Barzell were not getting along. You're a writer. You have the inside scoop. What was the reason why Lou Lamorello decided to part ways with one of the best coaches in the NHL? You mentioned him losing the locker room. He did not lose the locker room. I think Barry was not willing to commit long term because his contract was going to be up this year. I think Lou had it in the back of his mind that, okay, if he's not willing to commit, I will let him go and I'll let Lambert run the show because it looks as it so far, they see Lambert as the long term answer because he's had NHL head coaching interviews before with other teams and no one seemed to give him a job. Now he has a job and I think the way that Lou spoke about him, not even just last season, but in the offseason when he promoted him, that there was something that he saw in Lambert that he's the right guy for this team. It's showing so far. The way that they're playing right now, I can't deny that. But I also think he's pushing the right buttons too. Even go back to when they played the Rangers and Oliver Walsh was having an absolutely awful first period and was talking to him in between during the breaks. Mm -hmm. 
tell him, just relax. Just relax your game. You'll be fine. And it was one play that caught my eye the way the Islanders came back in that game where Wallstrom, at the end of the second period, he hit the crossbar and it would have made a 4-3 game. And then it was like, I think Wallstrom's going to be fine. He started to play much better towards the end of the second period and played good in, into the third period. So I think with Lambert, I think he's pushing all the right buttons. As it goes to Barry, he doesn't want to talk about last year that much. And I, and I understand, but it seems like he was burnt out and I can't disagree with him. Last year with the stopping and the starting and everything, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who wouldn't be burnt out with all the outside stuff that came with the season and all the stuff that happened during the season where the Islanders just never could get a consistent flow to their game or they couldn't get in any rhythm. I think Barry also wanted to take some time off, which totally understand. He gave the Islanders some of the best years, the team, the fans, the organization, some of the best years they've had in a long time. So I give him full credit for that. I'm thankful for that, that he was able to get that out of this team. But it might have been time for him to go. I just think there were other circumstances other than, oh, he lost the locker room, which I don't think he did. I think him and Barzell, yeah, they had an up and down relationship, but I don't think that it had anything to do with that. I just think it was timing. So another guy that's been on the trade block last year and also a little bit this year is Patrick Kane. Now the Rangers were big rumors for him in the offseason, but I think they need centers more than they would need a winger because they've been awful with faceoffs. But do you see Patrick Kane getting traded, whether it's to the Rangers or across the league this year? Because last year what happened with the Joel Quenville situation kind of lost the value. I think it could definitely happen. Of course, he's going to be the hottest income the deadline. I know that they haven't had the greatest start to the year. His name was floating around the offseason. I know for the Islands and for the Rangers, the Islands could probably use him more oh, than the Rangers absolutely. Can. Of course I could see him being traded. He's been one of the best. He's a generational player. And I know people would say, oh, he's getting older, but that doesn't matter. Like, he's still one of the elite guys in this league, and he's a game changer, and he's a goal scorer. Factor in all three of those, and any team would trade for him. And I believe if the Islanders are in a position where they can trade for him, do it. Go all in. But if you're not, it's not necessary. I also think from the Rangers standpoint, if they know that this is the year that they believe they're going to win the Stanley Cup, make the trade for him. Do whatever you can. If you have to trade Kako, if you have to trade Lafreniere, you do it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts when it comes to that. But it's still too early. I don't know if he's enjoying playing in Chicago this year. I know they're in a rebuild, but maybe he wants to play with one team the rest of his career. And I would admire that, but there's too many factors. We are talking to NHL.com and NHL media producer Rob Top. I think what I see with this team, it really lies on Sorokin. If the Islanders have any chance in the playoffs to go all the way this year, which a lot of people had the Islanders being the favorites of winning the Stanley Cup last year. There were a ton of people that thought the Islanders were going to win the Stanley Cup before the season even started because of the back-to-back years in the Eastern Conference Finals. And they took the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Stanley Cup champions, to a Game 7, and they gave up a shorthanded goal. By the way, that shouldn't have counted because there were too many men on the ice. Nevertheless, I'm not going to make any excuses to it. The Islanders (laughs) took them to the final part of that game where they could have won that game too. And if the Islanders won that game, they beat Montreal in the Stanley Cup, and the Islanders win the Stanley Cup. I think Sorokin is so very important to get this kid moving in the right direction. I think he's one of the top four goaltenders in the NHL, and he's proven it for the last couple of weeks. Do you think he is the key for the Islanders to go all the way this year and maybe be a Stanley Cup contender? I don't know if I would say he's the key. I think them getting the necessary scoring is the key, but the way I see Sorokin, he's one of the best goaltenders in the league. Maybe their playoff hopes and Stanley Cup aspirations hinge on him, but I don't think they do at this moment in time. I think them being a playoff contender and them fighting for a Stanley Cup does hinge a bit on him because he is that good and he can carry this team. But can't also forget about Semyon 
Varlamov because he's a very capable backup and he's shown it again this season. He also him. last year. Last I can't year was stand a fluke. him. Stand I don't know why. Last year was a fluke for him, just like it was for a lot of guys. He's still very valuable. They're going to trade him. See, I can't give that a yes or a no. No, not right now, but I think at the trade deadline, if no. they're looking for an offensive firepower to help Barzell on that first line, Volamov is a guy. There's a lot yeah. of teams looking for that goaltender. Maybe you trading Volamov for him. You might be right, but if you could keep Varlamov and have that one-two punch at least till the end of this year, I really don't think they trade Varlamov unless they bottom out, which I can't see happening with the way they're playing so far. Unless things go completely haywire, then you trade him and get something back for him. But the way him and Sorokin, their relationship, you don't mess with that unless you have to make a decision that it's time for him to go. It's not the time right now. After this season, it could be, but who knows? They could possibly bring him back if he wants to take a pay cut, come back on a one or two year deal, making two, two and a half million dollars. That helps the Islanders out a bunch. So the way you're describing Varlamov, I understand why you think it's necessary to trade him to get a score, but the way that the team is playing this year and you're seeing guys step up, who knows where this team will be by the trade deadline, hopefully in a playoff spot, but I don't think trading Varlamov is the right move right now, unless things just don't work out this season. Everybody that took shots at Lou Lemorello, that he didn't get his guy, and that he's past his time, I don't think anybody's saying that again. This is the same guy for four years he's been there. This is his fifth year with the Islanders. He's been a two-time GM of the year. Just for everybody to take shots at a guy that they think he's past his time. This could be another year that somehow the Islanders get into the playoffs. He makes a trade at the trade deadline, which he's done back-to-back years where he was GM of the year because of those trades. Nobody's going to say he's past his time. I think that the Islanders Islanders are in a very good position to be a very successful powerhouse team in the Eastern Conference this year. Rob, we really appreciate you joining us. You're fantastic. Keep up the good work. I've been reading all your stuff since you left with the Islanders, now working for the NHL, and I, I just love what you're doing, man. I appreciate that, guys. I really do. Absolutely. As the season progressively comes to an end, I'm sure he'll have his own thoughts to his Islanders on where the Islanders could go at the trade deadline. Will the Islanders trade Varlamov? I think they will. I don't know if they're bringing him back because he could start on any other team. There are teams that would love a guy like Volamov. Edmonton, yeah, they made a move. Uh, they added Campbell, and he was a good goaltender, but Campbell's not the same goaltender he was last year. They've always looked for a goaltender. There are other teams that are always looking for a goalie, so Volamov could start on any other team, and I remember when he came from Colorado, and Speedy, you didn't like the move. No, because he was fluky, and yeah. that one great year, then was average. It kind of did the same thing with the Islanders. Had the breakout first couple seasons, and then yeah. all of a sudden, it wasn't there. It just shows you like the thinness of the goalie position right now, too. Like There's only like a few real top ones. What bothers me about Volamov in games that I want him to play well against teams that I think he should be playing well against, he lays up a lousy goose egg. And then there are games that I've seen him play against better teams, and I'm like, where is this guy? Where has he been all this year? And he can't beat the Rangers. It really makes me sick. That makes up for the eight years we had to witness Halak just own the Rangers. You're saying Volamov can't beat the Rangers? They can't. Yes, he can. He's 5-0 and against them in his past five games. And Shesterkin is 1-7-1 and against the Islanders in his career. Sorokin played the first game, shut him out, and then the Islanders won the last game 5-4. The Volamov yeah. won that game, yes. Yeah, and he's won five straight at Madison Square Garden against them. Five he straight against them. Madison Square Garden. He hasn't won five straight against the Rangers. No, but he owns them at the Garden. Yes, he really owns them at the Garden. He's actually really owned them since he came here, too. Every time I watch him play against the Rangers, and I'm not talking about the Garden, when he's at the Coliseum, he doesn't win, and it really bothers me, and it doesn't matter. They played Gorgiev versus Volamov last year. Gorgiev always beat Volamov last year whenever he played against Volamov. Maybe not Shosturkin, but Gorgiev, but every 
time I watch him play against the Rangers, he loses. I am a huge Islander fan, and I always want to see what the Rangers do and what the Islanders do against one another. I've watched almost every single Islander game this year. I'm rooting for the Islanders. I want the Islanders to be a dominant force in the NHL because I want to shut every doubter out. The Ranger fans can't stand the Islanders. It makes me laugh. When I was at the Islander-Ranger game at the UBS Arena and Sorokin shut him out, it was the funniest thing. After the game, it was so loud with the Ranger fans. There were so many Ranger fans. It was like a ghost town walking out of the stadium. And the Islander fans just gave it to the Ranger fans. It was so funny. 7-5-1 and one he is against the Rangers since he's joined the Islanders. Well, that's not Overall bad. in his career, 12-8-2. Oh, that's good. But every time I watch him play against the Rangers, he loses, I guess, in the National Coliseum, the UBS Arena. Maybe he's 5-0 and oh against the Rangers at he, Madison Square Garden. But Rob, but Rob is right on this, though. He does have five shutouts. He had one at the end of last season, April 1st last season. Two at the end of the 2021 season, the shortened mm. season. Two earlier. What's right his the goals against, the, against the Rangers? 2.52. That's good. Every time I see him play, he doesn't win. So. No, no, it's hit or miss. I've <laughs> been to three Ranger Islander games in the last three years, and every single one of those games, except this one with Sorokin, where he won 3 nothing. Two out of the three, he lost against Shesterkin one game, and he lost against Gorgiev. The game against Shesterkin, that was the first game the two teams played at UBS Arena last year. The Islanders were playing with basically an AHL lineup. Rob, we really appreciate you, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Thanks. Rob Tob, ladies and gentlemen. Speedy, he was fantastic. I love Rob. Great personality. He knows his stuff. Yes, he does. He knows his Islanders, knows his Rangers knows the ins and outs of both those New York teams and a little bit of fun facts with the Dennis Potvin Sox embracing the New York hockey culture as we know it. Absolutely. And go check out Rob on social media, Twitter. Go read some of his stories. He's fantastic. Works for NHL.com, the NHL media producer. He's been growing over the last couple of years since he's been on the show. And now he's living on writing for hockey. And I'm excited for him. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we've got Chazzy Moto as we have Moneyline Mania when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the app on Android. Check us out. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Happy Thanksgiving to all the fans. I hope everybody enjoyed all the betting that they made on Thursday's games. They were fantastic games that the NFL produced on Thursday. And we have a lot more to go. And why not bring in our betting guys, our handicappers, as we have Chaz and the crew. This is Moneyline Mania. <laughs> this is Moneyline Mania. With Chaz and the crew. Chazzy, 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 what's going on? It's just you tonight. The crew's on holiday, but they've thrown us some bones. I had a great mentor, Errol. One time he said to me, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know somebody that does. It's true, right? Oh, absolutely. I had the opportunity to spend it with my girl and her mother and her girlfriend. It was a fun time. And then we went to my boy's house and, and, and enjoyed 50 people enjoying a nice, wonderful dessert. And we watched the final football game, the Vikings versus the New England Patriots, as we got a chance to see on the high stage, Justin Jefferson dominating 
in dominating fashion. He is so special. He's not as special as a good dessert because Thanksgiving is great, but when the desserts come out, my eyes pop open because that's what it's all about for me. I'm a sweet guy. Yes. I like the salty stuff. To go to somebody's house for dessert knowing there's all these desserts there, life would be good for me. Oh, it was delicious, and I know you can't have a lot of desserts. I do very small portions of everything. I was telling somebody about the plates. I saw some of these plates. They had these really nice plates, but they were bending. The physics of the plate could not handle the mountainous amount of food that people took, but that is what makes Thanksgiving here in America so great. I love Thanksgiving. It's a really good time to spend with your family, eat a lot of food, get fat, and tell a lot of crazy stories. Happy to have you on. I want to give a shout out to Wes and all the guys a part of this segment. Paulo was off to a great start with the World Cup. He got something else to do with. A lot of the people I didn't hear back from because it's the holiday weekend, but I wanted to, to pick as many brains as I could. The more the merrier. So why don't we get into it, my friend? When I wake up out here, first of all, it's wake and bake. The reason it's called wake and bake is because it's early. We wake and bake. And I had to look at the Denver Carolina game, and if that was the only game on, I wouldn't even light the bong. I'd go back to bed, <laughs> wake up later. You think that this is an important game for him, huh, the quarterback? Russell Wilson has a big game. This is a game that he needs to show up to. This is a game that they must win. I know they have nothing to play for. Denver is not making the playoffs, but this is a big statement game for Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. They're going into Carolina. They're playing a very good defense, a defense that's played very, very well. They have one of the best defensive tackles in football, and they can get at you very, very strongly. And their secondary has played very, very well. They're still trying to figure out who their starting quarterback is. It doesn't look like it's Baker. It's not Sam Darnold, but they're going to have to start one of them this week. It's going to be very interesting to see a coach that is an interim guy who is trying to figure out where this team is for the rest of the season. They have paid him $15 million for each win. The more wins they can get, the lower that number will be, but it's probably going to set a record for the most money spent on one player for a W. I do have that game on my list, though. The total listed at 35 and a half. It's the lowest combined points total for the entire season this game. When you look at both those teams, they're both looking to get a win. Carolina has the best chance of making the playoffs. They're in such a weak division. It looks like it's Tampa's division to win, even though Tampa's not having a good season. Tom Brady isn't the same quarterback he once was when he came from New England. And even when he won the Super Bowl in his first year with Tampa. So there is a lot of deficiencies and a lot of weaknesses of all these teams in this division. Carolina has the best chance to make the playoffs out of both those teams. But Denver's the better team. Even losing Melvin Gordon, I still believe that the Denver Broncos are going to be able to run the ball. And I think the Denver Broncos still have a half-decent team that they can come out the winners and victorious in this game. Tampa Bay's in first place, but they're 5-5. Five and five. All right, the other game I looked at was the Houston-Miami game because it's the biggest spread, but I don't know if Houston's going to score any points here. Houston, they have a very good running back in Pierce. They have some nice young weapons. Are they going to play defense in this game against a very good, very high firepowered offense with Waddle and Tyreek Hill? This team is explosive. They can run the ball. Defensively, they could get at you too. And their offensive line's ranked in the top 10, which everybody thought was going to be their weakness this year, but they've protected Tua, and Tua has really become a star in this league early. A lot of people didn't think this guy was going to cut it this year. He has been dominant. This is Miami's game to lose. I cannot see Houston staying in this game. So their record is 7-3, and three, Miami, but Houston's record is 1-8. and eight. If that's what you looked at, you would say it's a no-brainer. But that's when that evil, evil invention called the point spread comes into play because the point spread records are almost identical. Against the spread, Miami's 5-5, five and five, and Houston is 4-5-1. Five and 12.5 and points, that's an awful lot of points in a football 
football game. Didn't yeah. Petey like somebody in the Cincinnati-Tennessee game? Cincinnati knows how to stop the run. Derrick Henry has been fantastic the last five weeks, but he was exposed a little bit in the beginning of the season, and I think Cincinnati can do it. And the Titans do not have the offense to take over the Bengals' secondary weaknesses in the past. And offensively for the Bengals, still getting production from their other receivers. So I like the Bengals to dominate this dig game as a road underdog. I think they're going to destroy the Titans this week as good as the Titans have played. The story of a young man who put a $100 parlay in. He did it back in October. It was October 2nd. He said, I like Tennessee over the Colts, and I'm going to bet the under. So I'm going to do Tennessee in the under. He took that ticket. He turned it from 100 into 360. He let it ride every single week. He let it ride against Washington, again against the Colts. He did it against Houston, even Kansas City. He went with the under in the Kansas City game. Denver, that ticket is now worth $85,000. $100 ticket on Houston and the Tennessee under. Rolled over seven straight weeks is worth $85,000. If you offered me $85,000 right now, I would take it. Going into this game with the Bengals, everybody thinks that the Bengals are going to make the playoffs. Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Everybody keeps calling him an elite quarterback. But all season long, they haven't found the running game. Joe Mixon isn't the same running back he was last year. And Tennessee, over the last couple of weeks, even though they've had a loss here and there, they still have the running game. They still have the momentum with the defense playing the way they are. I think they have one of the best coaches in the NFL in Vrabel. So I do believe Tennessee has the advantage. A lot a lot of people like Joe Burrow, but I think this is a very weak offensive line. For all the add-ons in the offseason, a lot of these guys have not panned out on this offensive line. So, I like the Tennessee Titans in this game. I think they're going to cover in this game. The Jets, they're 6-4. and four. They don't know who they're playing a quarterback. That's crazy. Most teams are 2-8 and eight when they don't know who they're playing a quarterback. It's so interesting how important this game is going to be for the New York Jets because it doesn't get any easier. They have the Lions still. Look what the Lions did on Thursday afternoon against the Bills. They're getting better, and there's no sure things anymore in the NFL. Even the Jaguars, the Jets are going to play this year. They have played a little bit better, too. This is not a short game, even though it's probably the shortest game out of all the games that they have left. Justin Fields isn't 100%. He might not play in this game. He has a separated shoulder. And the Jets are going to be able to run against this team. They're going to be able to put some pressure on this defense. This defense is one of the worst defenses in the league. Roquan Smith, he's playing for Baltimore. So I like the Jets in this game. I think the Jets are going to cover in this game. I think they're going to even put up some points. Mike White is going to be able to air the ball out. He has Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, and obviously... Garrett Wilson. I think you're going to see this offense flourish better under Mike White this week than you probably would have Zach Wilson. So I like the Jets in this game. I think they cover. Remember last year, brief memory of him doing incredibly well for a short period. And if the locker room believes in this guy and the team is behind them, sometimes a quarterback change is a big deal. And they do believe in Mike White. And they think that he could do the job and put the Jets on his back and ride them all the way for a win. This is a very good game. This is a very good matchup for the Jets with all the injuries and all the trade that they had at the trade deadline, I think the Jets are going to be able to compete with this Bears team. So the last two games I gave out were the Kansas City hosting the Rams game and the New Orleans Saints at the San Francisco game. Now, I'm pretty sure both San Francisco and Kansas City are making the playoffs. Would you agree there? Oh, all? absolutely. Yeah. Kansas yeah. City, definitely. Baltimore looks like they're going to win the division. When you look at Kansas City, you question what this team is in certain games. They have a 
high-fly-powered offense. Their defense has played well. They could get at you with Jones. Jones is one of the better defensive linemen in the league, but I think they have deficiencies in their secondary, and when they play a good high-flying offense, some good wide receivers, I think Kansas City will have problems. But the issue is, will those problems cause them to score more points than the point spread is? And that's where I've hit these guys, and I'm not betting the teams anymore. I'm betting the team totals. With Kansas City, the number is 27 and a half. It just seems like that's a number they can do, and they do it. I hopped on the team total over 27. They're given 14 and a half points. You could be up by 21 points, and a team gets a freak play and gets a touchdown, and you're losing, given 14 and a half. So I didn't want to touch that, so I went with the Kansas City team total over. If I win with you last week, unless something dramatically changes, I'm betting you again this week. Why would I stop? Why do I have to double handicap? They already won. It's like a horse. If a horse wins for you, the next time it runs, you're going to bet it again. Maybe you're not going to get the same odds, but you're going to bet it again. Oh, absolutely. And Kansas City, they're just a much better team than the L.A. Rams. And going into this game, the Rams don't have Cooper Cup. They don't have a star wide receiver in this game. Allen Robinson, I thought, was going to fit. He has not really produced. A couple months ago, this week, on this show, we talked about Super Bowl champions and how the first three or four games of the season, they get extra points because everybody says they're Super Bowl champions. When we all know what Super Bowl champions, guys run off and take the money, go elsewhere. The drive isn't there, especially if their guys were playing in contract years and they got their new money. The Rams have taken that early preseason bet against trend and made it last all year. They suck. They're terrible. They can't run the ball. Henderson's gone. He went on waivers. He's now a Jaguar. This is not a good team. Akers wanted to be traded at the trade deadline. He's still on the team. He's not even the starting running back on this team. This team, where everybody thought they were going to have a pretty good dual running threat, they're all gone. They're both not even starting on this team. So I don't know what the Rams are. Matthew Stafford isn't the same quarterback he was last year, and they have so many deficiencies on their offense. And their defense, adding Wagner, even though Bobby Wagner is still one of the better linebackers in the league, he really hasn't helped after losing Von Miller. And Von Miller might be out for the season after getting hurt. And with no draft stock anymore, they don't know what Matthew Stafford is when he becomes a free agent in the offseason. I don't know who they are as an organization. They make us watch them. Petey and I make fun on our text of the Chargers. They shove the Chargers down our throat. It's not that bad with the Rams, but we see a lot of Rams games. And sometimes it's because, especially during the bye weeks, there's only two or three games in the afternoon. They got to show sometimes both of them, but they really do. They suck. I think the Green Bay Packer game and the Philadelphia Eagle game is going to be a fun game to watch. This is an important game for the Green Bay Packers. If they can pull off a win in this game, they could still make the playoffs. The NFC is so weak. If they can pull off a win in Philadelphia against this very high-powered Eagles team, if this is a team 9-1, clinch their division in the next two weeks. Very interesting. This is a tough matchup. Eagles run game, though, against that Packers run defense that has had trouble. Jalen Hurts outside. I like the way Miles Sanders has played, especially in the red zone. Offensively for the Packers, they could run the ball a little, but they've still been kind of inconsistent. The game is in Philadelphia. They might get a big play here and there. The Eagles secondary has been spotty at times, but I would trust the Eagles to win and also cover this minus six and a half. If you looked at this game early in the season, this could be like an NFC playoff game. The NFC is definitely Green Bay's got a shot, but he sat in front of us, Aaron Rodgers, and he said this team isn't really good. It was like week three or four and everybody was freaking out and 
You know how he is. He's been with the, the press over his career. The bottom line is he was being honest. They suck too. If you just bet against the Rams and you bet against the Packers every week, you probably hit that parlay four times and you don't. My surprise game of the week is the Green Bay Packers of Philadelphia because I think the Green Bay Packers could shock the Philadelphia Eagles. If they can get that offense moving, get Jones into the game early, they need to control the clock and they have to get Jones and their offense involved very, very early if they plan to win this game. But I absolutely believe it's a possibility that the Green Bay Packers could go into Philadelphia and knock off the high-powered Philadelphia Eagles team. Our buddy Worldwide West, or Blackhawk West, he put out a bet against Philly. He thinks there are three games they can lose in their final six games. And I think they're definitely losing to Dallas in the second meeting, and I can definitely see them losing to Tennessee. I wasn't really definitive on the third, but yeah, West does believe that they will kind of stumble down the stretch. Still might end up as the NFC one seed, but not really play the greatest football because he was saying how Washington was also, after beating Philadelphia, better against the spread than the Eagles were. I think the Eagles are one of the best teams in the league. And I like what Jalen Hurts has done. I like their wide receivers. I think they have a great, high-powered, flying offense. And they have a three-headed monster running game. Their offensive line is the best in the league. And their defense is only getting healthier and adding Adamic and Sue and Linville Joseph to that defensive line. You're adding a lot of depth. So they already believe that they can win a Super Bowl this year with the team that they have. And they do have Jordan Davis coming back, which he's a man-child. So a lot of people would look at the rosters and going to say, how the hell could the Green Bay Packers go into Philadelphia and win this game? Here's the name. Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers could go into Philadelphia and put up 300 yards and throw three touchdowns in this game, and if the Green Bay Packers actually can run the ball and play defense in this game, they can stop Philadelphia. Philadelphia has had problems against some of the better running teams in the league this year. And if you could put pressure on Jalen Hurts and make him throw off his back leg, he's been in trouble this year. So I think Green Bay could go into Philadelphia and knock off the Philadelphia Eagles. You're not going to win a championship if you can't win second halves. And they're getting beaten second halves. Now, whether it's that the other teams are adjusting, because when you plan for a team, of course, you plan assuming they're going to do A. Sometimes they know that you think they're going to do A, so they do B. And then you adjust at halftime. And if you look at the data, the halftime, it looks like two different teams. Philly is great in the first half, and they just do nothing in the second half. The Saints and the San Francisco 49ers. This is a game This is a game that San Francisco should win. I've seen the Saints go into San Francisco over the years, or even San Francisco into New Orleans, and, and losing San Francisco is the favorites in this game, but that doesn't guarantee anything. Especially this year. It's been a phenomenal amount, and you know, Black Oak West has talked about that. What he did, he's, he just had a hunch it was going to be a crazy year, and he started putting the buck on all the underdogs, breaks up a $20 bill, and he spreads it around, and it's up to like 60 bucks now. That same 20 bucks is tripled. If he did it for 20 grand, he'd have 60 grand. His wife might not like that. San Francisco is a nine-point favorite in this game. The Saints will cover in this game. I think San Francisco, being at home, they're going to be able to get at whoever's the starting quarterback of the Saints. Every single week, it's somebody different. Andy Dalton is a feasible quarterback. He's not an elite quarterback. He's not even a top 20 quarterback in his league, but I think he could put up the number and if he is starting, he could still go into San Francisco and beat the San Francisco 49ers. Nine-point favorites in this game. I could see the Saints covering this game. That is the third game I gave out in my three picks. It was the over. I agree that uh, New Orleans, I think, could put up some points. But I love that old adage, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. What is it if you have three quarterbacks? Because <laughs> I think you got less than one. They have four quarterbacks. They have quarterback problems. I have four teams. San Francisco's one of them. I have Seattle. I have Washington. I have my 
Miami. Those are the four games that I circled for talking about team specific. So I got those three totals I did. I got those four teams. The Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray coming back. This is a big game for them. They're playing the Chargers this week. They are the home team. I can absolutely see the Arizona Cardinals winning this game. The Chargers, you don't even know who the Chargers are. I think this is a game that absolutely Arizona can go in home and, and win this game. Yeah, the Chargers are the Chargers. But when Kyle Murray was playing, he didn't look good either. So I want nothing to do with that game. But they'll probably make me watch it here in San Diego. I think the Chargers are going to be favorite in this game on everybody's list. They have the high-flying power offense. Justin Herbert's healthy. They have their wide receivers back. They can run the ball. Their offensive line is not as good as it was in the beginning of the season, but they can absolutely run the ball behind that offensive line. This defense, even though with all the injuries that they have, they still have Cleo Mack. They still could get at you. We saw them do it last week. But I think Arizona, they have weapons. Kyler Murray back. It's no backup quarterback. I expect Kyler Murray to go into this game at home and put up the numbers. And I do believe that the Cardinals are a lot better defensively than they've shown all season long. So I think the Cardinals could show up and win this game. Yeah, you got to be careful. You can't bet too many games. What I like to do is I like to break my games down into the early games and then you got the late games. You know how Wes says he won't touch the Sunday night or the Monday night game. I touch them if I like them. I don't bet them just to bet them. But with live action, you could watch a game Get a feel for the game and hop on it. I didn't do well this week with the USA-England game. I thought there was going to be a goal, so I bet that there would be a goal. And then when it got closer, I bet it again. Those donations will be somewhere in Costa Rica. The United States need to win a game. They need two points. They simply have to beat Iran or they don't go forward. If they beat Iran, they go forward. Tuesday is the big game. Their eyes are going to be locked on the TV. I was supposed to go to Qatar, but family situation, my aunt passed away and other situations going on in my life, I could not fly to Qatar with my friends. So they will be going to the World Cup and I will be watching it on TV. But yeah, and the bottom line is it's not like the Bills had to go to Detroit. Going to Qatar is like a work. 15 hours yeah. on a plane. It's crazy. I was looking forward to that. It just didn't happen. But safe travel to my friends. I hope they enjoy themselves and I'll see them soon. But it's a big game. It's a big week for USA soccer to win that game against Iran. A very good Iran team. A lot of people think was a well, semi-final. They beat, they beat Wales, and we didn't beat Wales. But they, a lot of Iran people... didn't get Wales to score, and we let Wales score. A so lot yeah, of people Iran. thought Iran was going to win this division. They're the best team in this division. So, when you talk about England, which has been a world power for years, nobody thought England was going to be any good going into this tournament. So, I was very surprised nobody scored. And by the way, the United States had a one nothing lead against Wales throughout the game, and then yeah. rarely coughs up that last goal at the end of the game. I was there for kicks to get missed. Extra points get missed but in soccer you get that it's like six inches the wood is like six inches wide and they hit the post all the time it's or the crossbar it's amazing how many balls in soccer go off the wood i think it's going to be fun there's a lot of european football left soccer left uh, in this tournament it's so early but it would suck to see the united states get eliminated as quick as the tournament started they have not lost in this tournament yet could you imagine not losing in a tournament and getting eliminated that would suck they need to score against Iran. We have to see more goals for the United States team. They have scored one goal in this tournament in two games. That's not going to cut it. You need to put the ball in the That right there is why soccer struggles in America. Well, they need goal scoring. When we come back, we'll get into the Yankees. They're interested in Jacob DeGrom. The Mets interested in some pitchers. And yes, Aaron Judge is visiting the San Francisco Giants Tuesday. When we come back, some baseball here on the Weekend Crunch. We 
are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app, but go on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Why don't we get into some baseball? And I, I know a lot of people are wondering what is going on with Aaron Judge. Where is Aaron Judge going to go? And I've been saying this for two years. And I have been saying this because not to throw the Yankees under the bus. I am a Yankee fan. But the Yankees don't like to spend money anymore. And everybody says, well, they spent money on Anthony Rizzo. They gave John Carlos Stanton the money. They gave Garrett Cole the money. First of all, the only person they really signed on a big deal was Garrett Cole. They took on the deal for Giancarlo Stanton because they didn't have to trade anything for him. Anthony Rizzo got a 30-some-odd million-dollar contract for the next three years. Is that a lot of money for a star first baseman, an older first baseman, but not a star first baseman? He's still one of the top five, top seven first basemen in the league. You sit here and you say, well, the Yankees spend money. They didn't really spend money. Now, are they willing to pay Aaron Judge $330 million for eight years? The answer is no. Brian Cashman, he's already come out and said he doesn't like to sign players over seven years. Aaron Judge and his agent has come out and said that he wants an eight-year deal worth a little bit over $300 million. So the Yankees are already out of the running. It's really San Francisco's to lose. They're willing to pay him. They opened up salary room for him. Buster Posey is gone. He's retired. I think there's a lot of money out there in San Francisco. He was born and raised over there in San Francisco. You see all these ex-All-Stars. Barry Bonds reached out to Aaron Judge recently and said that he would be great in San Francisco. He grew up a San Francisco Giants fan. It makes a lot of sense. His family still lives there. He just got married. He might want to raise his kids there. And they have a lot of money. It's not just going to be Aaron Judge. I think they could go after maybe even Brandon Nimmo to be the center fielder. And then you have a dual threat over there. A guy that can lead off and a guy that can hit in the middle of your lineup or even third in your lineup. I think San Francisco is going to make a bid for him on Tuesday. I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the week he signs that contract. Eight years, $330 million to go to San Francisco. Am I surprised? No. Am I going to be surprised if somehow the Yankees match it and he comes back to New York? I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to say this nice and respectful to all the Yankee fans, including myself. Don't count on. I do not believe he'll be a Yankee. I do not believe the Yankees are going to give him a $300 million contract. I think the $230 million he was offered was high enough in Brian Cashman's eyes. Maybe after breaking the 61 home run record held by Roger Maris, it might raise the total to maybe 30 more million to maybe like... Like 260 million. I cannot see Brian Cashman digging into the Yankees' pockets, Hal Steinbrenner's pockets, and saying, Hey, you know what, Hal? We're going to spend another $300 million on a player. It doesn't make sense. It's not the Yankees' way anymore. They want to build around youth. They have Dominguez coming up possibly this year. Volpe coming up this year. You've seen Pereza. You've seen Cabrera. They want to go back to youth. I think Aaron Judge, being that he's 31 years old, he wants an eight year deal. Over $300 million. I don't see the Yankees going there and throwing their money away into one player. Yeah, it seems like the Giants are setting the bar on the years where a lot of these other teams are not going to be able to deal with that kind of thing. Eight years, 320 was the original market value. Now we're hearing eight years, 330. The only realistic chance I see of the Giants getting outbid by a team that's willing to go for an eight-year deal might be the Dodgers, their division rival. But even they have a lot of other trickier things they got to deal with, too. they got to re-sign Trey Turner if they want to keep him. They've also been in the rumors for 
pitching as well. Justin Verlander, even Carlos Rodon, if they if they let go of Turner. So it might not even be a guarantee they would do it. And I said the Red Sox is a potential bidding war with the Yankees. But if the Yankees aren't going to fight for that bidding war, I don't really see the Red Sox getting involved in that either, even when it comes to stealing their own players. So, yeah, I really think it'll come down to if Aaron Judge does end up wanting the eight years or if he cares more about staying with the Yankees or the average annual value, which I don't really see at this point. He traveled to San Francisco with his family. He traveled to the Giants team facility this week. What will that end up mattering for? But I think it's really looking closer and closer to like he will sign with the Giants. Now, I don't know if it'll be quickly. I don't know if it'll be that instantly, but I think there will be some kind of a bidding war. I think he'll give the Yankees the chance to match it. I just don't think the Yankees will match it. It's a lot of money. I think the Yankees can throw that money into two or three, maybe even four players, or maybe next year. I've said this already. Maybe the Yankees hold off. They go into the season with the roster that they have, some of the youngsters. They're still going to be competitive. They still can make the playoffs with the roster they have. Maybe find a pitcher here and there to fit in their bullpen, which we've heard Brian Cashman interested in the Pittsburgh uh, closer. There are pieces that they can add to the puzzle. It doesn't mean that the Yankees can't make the playoffs. But again, I think the Yankees would rather lose Aaron Judge to a National League team, a San Francisco Giant team, than a Red Sox team where you're going to have to see him 17, 18 times or any other team in the American League. I think this is fitting for the Yankees. It's fitting for Judge. He gets to go home. He gets to go and play for his home team in front of his family. Is he going to be the same Aaron Judge that he was in Yankee Stadium? Probably not. He's going to be dealing with injuries with his size and his ability Maybe he has two, maybe three good years left in him where he'll be able to be an elite player. But if the Yankees see that in his age to be a problem, I would not pay him $300 million. And, and this could set their team back and this roster back where they take that money, that $300, 400000000 million, they're going to invest in him and maybe invest it into Soto when he becomes a free agent after this year. So it's going to be interesting on what Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner decides to do in the next couple of days. Jacob deGrom, the Yankees maybe passed on Aaron Judge, might not pass on Jacob deGrom. We've heard that the Yankees interested in Jacob deGrom if he clears medically. I am not surprised with this. You add Jacob deGrom to that rotation with Garrett Cole and some of the pitchers that they have, the Nestor Cortezes of the world. This could be the best pitching staff in baseball. The question is, is Jacob deGrom going to stay healthy? And what are the Yankees willing to pay him? And how many years? He still has a lot left in him. I say to seal the deal with Jacob, you're going to have to give him at least a three to four year deal worth about $40 million a year. Are they willing to pay Jacob DeGrom for four years instead of paying Aaron Judge for eight? I think it's a better fit for the Yankees to give Jacob the four years, $40 million, than Aaron Judge the eight years, $45 million. Pitching wins ballgames. Pitching wins championships. I think this might be the move the Yankees start to move forward to. Yeah, it's definitely possible because you see this is the ideal deal for Brian Cashman to make, a four-year deal that even if it's a lot of money because Jacob deGrom is seeking the average annual value very similar to Max Scherzer. I don't think he'll get as much, but I do, I do think it's definitely possible where he could still cash in on the length too. We heard the shorter term deal competition be the Mets and the Braves. And now the Yankees trying to get involved in that kind of thing too. The Rangers are the only team that's interested in giving him a five or six year deal, but will Jacob deGrom rather have that than get a bigger deal of average annual value and try to win a championship with a team that can compete? Because we know the Braves are definitely competitors as are the Mets and the Yankees. And the Yankees, again, one of the better starting pitching staffs in the American 
American League. You're looking at a case where what is the relationship with the Mets and Jacob deGrom front office, too? If it is as sour as I thought it was last year, even with their change in GMs, I mean, Jacob deGrom might want to stick it to the Mets and just go cross town in New York. So it's definitely possible. I don't know how petty he is comparatively to some of the other guys that have left the Mets in the past, but if it is a sour ending with the way they treat him with the injuries, it's definitely an option. There is a couple of basketball stories I want to get into before we go to break. Kyrie Irving returns to the Nets lineup. What does this do for the Brooklyn Nets? What does this do for Brooklyn? What does this do for the NBA? I have no idea why Kyrie Irving is playing basketball this year. I have no idea how the Nets in the NBA allows this idiot to step on a basketball court where he doesn't understand what it is to really respect the game that he plays. And honestly, a lot of these athletes, a lot of these self-proclaimed superstars that they think their Uncle Drew or whatever he calls himself or whatever superstar he compares his game to, like Allen Iverson, this man has done nothing good for basketball. Nothing. Once in a blue moon, you see the talented player that he is, but the guy on and off the court doesn't respect the game for what it is and what it's brought him, the riches that it's brought him, and he should be the face of of this organization. He should be one of the faces of this brand. And what he is is an absolute joke to the brand. And to me, a disgrace. And I don't understand why the Nets would allow this guy to step on a basketball court this year. But again, I'm not the owner. I'm not the GM. If he does something stupid again or says something stupid again, I think the Nets are going to really regret that they let this guy step on the court for one more respectful time because of the stupidity and the, some of the dumb things he's done in the league and what he's said. We agreed on this. Whether it came to suspending him for the whole season. That's what I would have done if I were the Nets. That's what I would have done if I were the NBA. And like you were saying, I'm for a commissioner and Adam Silver, who is Jewish, why would he not be able to fight for that cause more? It makes no sense to me. And why the Nets just let it go like it was absolutely nothing. Kevin Durant, we talked about it last week, commenting on, the most random things with the game planning rather than commenting on the wrongdoings of his teammates makes absolutely no sense. And the fact that Kyrie Irving is playing, nobody should be rooting for this kind of thing. It's a really bad look for the Nets. Not that the Nets have had many good looks lately, but when it comes to publicity and when it comes to the NBA, just as a icon for trying to be a better game, that's a bad look for sure. It's embarrassing for the NBA. It's embarrassing for the Brooklyn Nets being that they're in a very Jewish community. I just think it's disgraceful. And this guy stepping on on the court. He has done nothing. Yes, he has apologized, and I understand that everybody deserves a second chance. This guy doesn't really follow through on his apology. He doesn't care. He just said it, his apologies because the Nets and the NBA made him apologize. He did not want to apologize for what he said. He absolutely believes what he believes in. And I'm not saying that there's no opportunities to have freedom of speech, being that you live in the United States, but it's the what you say and how you say it that really makes you look like an idiot. Mitchell Robertson returns to the Knicks lineup. Mitchell Robertson is a great basketball player. Is he a superstar basketball player? He's not. But he could give you 14 and 10 every single night if he stays healthy. The problem with Mitch, since he's come into the league, he's been in the league five years, the guy can't stay healthy. He's got ankle problems, foot problems, plantar fasciitis problems, knee problems. This guy can't stay healthy. And unfortunately, the New York Knicks 
gave him the contract in the offseason. Now, it's a workable contract. It's a contract that you could trade away. It's a feasible contract. But when you sign a guy three to four years, you expect him to be on this roster when you can compete and win. And I just don't know if Mitchell Robinson's that guy. I don't know if he's capable of staying healthy for a full season to help this team win. Yeah, it's going to be tough to be able to trust because it's now three different years he's had these injury issues. Now, the Knicks have definitely needed him. They've gotten out-rebounded in a lot of their losses this season. And Robinson, especially on the offensive glass, was a big part. What the Knicks were able to do to get second-chance points in the first 10 games of the season. And that definitely was lost with Isaiah Hartenstein and several of the other big men they have who just aren't that same kind of player in the lineup. Now, long term, yeah, it's definitely a concern. If they do end up trying to make a trade, we heard about Rose and Quigley being in the rumors last week. Maybe they package Robinson if they want a bigger name player in that kind of deal because he definitely, when he's on the court, is an impactful big man. Great rebounder, great shot blocker. Led the NBA in blocks at one point this season before he got hurt. So when he's on the court, he's fantastic. It's just, yeah, it's very difficult to trust for a team that the Knicks really need to figure out what sense of direction they're going in. And if it means trading him to get a better value with somebody like Rose or Quigley, they might have to When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into some hockey conversation as the New York Islanders are very, very hot. The New York Rangers trying to find their feet, trying to find their legs, whatever they're trying to find, they better find some defense because they cannot leave it to Shesterkin as the season progressively moves forward if they expect to make the playoffs. When we come back, we'll get into some hockey. And Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World wide sports radio network download the worldwide sports radio up on ios wwsrn or you go to android and you download worldwide sports radio network big pond baby may you rest in peace oh man it's been great hockey has been fun to watch if you're an islander fan speedy i know you're a ranger fan i know you're not excited about where the rangers are or what the rangers are as an islander fan if anybody's an islander fan out there which i'm sure there are a ton listening to the show driving home from an islander game or listening to the islander game at the bar you should be very excited this team is as good as their record shows them to be they're fun to watch man defensively they have one of the best goalies in the league and they're scoring goals by the threes they have been averaging almost three and a half goals a game nobody would have thought that the Islanders were going to be one of the league's best offenses, one of the top 10 league best offenses. It's really been fantastic. And by the way, their best player, Barzell, only has two goals this year. He's got many assists, but only two goals. So it just shows you what a team, when it comes to teamwork, could turn into. It's been fun, Speedy. It really has been. Yeah, I want to go back to Sorokin because 49 saves against the Edmonton Oilers is one of the most impressive things you could do when it comes to McDavid, Dreisaitl, Evander Kane, all the offensive firepower on that team. And Ilya Sorokin put together a clinic in, at home at the UBS Arena against the Edmonton Oilers that night. Very impressive. Barzal finally got his first two goals. You were right about that last week in our Told you. last. I'll give you credit on that. Very impressive goals against Dallas, who's been another great team. One of the best teams in the NHL. One of the best defensive teams in the NHL. So the Islanders 
Islanders have done it in many different formulas so far that have worked. Noah Dobson's really growing into a nice, well-rounded defensive player. Defense was great last year. Now his offense, he's putting that together as well, too. He was close to 50 points last year, and now he's on pace for even more than that again. So he's growing nicely, and now they're getting the veterans involved, too. Guys like Nelson, guys like Beauvillier have really bounced back. Anders Lee has had a nice season that is really on pace to what is similar to his 30-goal season back in 2018. So the Islanders clicking on all cylinders and Lane Lambert has this team really headed in the right direction. Oh, absolutely does. And right now, if you were to ask me who the coach of the year this year, and I'm not even talking about general manager because everybody was throwing the Islanders GM under the bus, Lou Lamorello, because he couldn't make the offers. He couldn't find the guy, the offensive players that they needed to become an elite offense in the offseason. Well, they're an elite offense right now, and they didn't make any moves offensively, and they didn't even have a first-round draft pick. So it just shows you what Lou is as a GM. He made a decision on firing Barry Trotz, and a lot of people took shots at him after he fired him, and he took Lane Lambert in. Everybody says every single coach from any Barry Trotz's rosters over the years, they've all failed in the NHL. Well, Lane Lambert is one of those guys that believes in who he is as a coach. He has this Islander team playing on all cylinders. It's been fantastic. And if you're an Islander fan, you should be very excited. And then there are the Rangers. The Rangers are up, they're down. They're up, they're down. They're up, they're down. They have not played as elite as they were last year. And I I still think there's a lot of hockey left. And the Rangers, 22 games into the season, there's 82 games in a season. They're not even a quarter into the season. So the Rangers could go on a 14, 13-game winning streak and really pick up the pace. But what we have seen so far this year is Kreider is not the same player. Zabinijad is hot and he's cold. And Panarin, even though he does everything right offensively, when he's on the ice, That defense, that offense, it does not really produce defensively like it's supposed to. He's supposed to be a two-way player. He's not as good a two-way player as they thought he was going to be when they brought him in from the Blue Jackets. I don't know what this team is as a whole. And yes, they have Adam Fox. Yes, they have some good young players. Kapokaka really hasn't become the player that they thought he was going to be when they drafted him at number two. Lafreniere was supposed to take two steps forward this year after having the playoffs that he had. He has not really had that season that everybody expects him to do as the number one pick a couple of years ago. So I, I don't know what this team is anymore, Speedy. Yeah, they've been very inconsistent with their top players and their younger players too. Our Timmy Panarin had a five-game streak of not having a point. He finally broke that on this West Coast road trip. And you're right, the young players have not scored in a while. Lafreniere had two points. He was a little better. Heedles played a little better, but you're right. Kako's kind of up and down. And they haven't really got that second winger on that other line, too, whether it's Jimmy DC, whether it's one of those young players. They really haven't gotten it going on a consistency basis. And most of their scoring recently has come from their bottom lines. And it's been coming in strange bunches, too. They won against the Kings after looking really bad in the first period of that game, the big second period. But again, is that sustainable? Is that kind of thing? They struggled against Anaheim, allowed them to get their first regular season win off this season too it really looked pathetic in that game they got some goals okay but they still got outplayed with two periods in that game too so definitely an uneventful west coast road trip they won two out of three so some grits there but 
still definitely not the ideal team you want to see that just made the Eastern Conference final. And again, a lot of Ranger fans thought that they were going to be a top team again this year. They're going to the Eastern Conference finals or maybe going to the Stanley Cup this year finally. I just think there's a lot of things that they need to do. They made some moves in the offseason. They brought in Trocheck. They thought he was a big upgrade and maybe he is a big upgrade when it comes to faceoffs. but they lost a lot of pieces in the offseason. You can see the difference of this team ever since they lost those three or four pieces that they lost in free agency. So it'll be very interesting to see moving forward what this Ranger team is as far as confidence and ability. Speedy, are you ready? Yep. It is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we'll start crunch time with some college football. So no matter who wins the Ohio State and Michigan game, both of them will still make the college football playoff. Yeah, I'm going to buy this one just because I think the scenario does not present itself well when it comes to a two-loss team in number six right now in LSU. And the only other scenario that might get another team outside the playoffs would be if USC wins the Pac-12, but that's only one other team for the time being. So the only scenario where that would happen is if whoever loses this game loses on the tiebreaker, which I can't see happening because USC only has one quality game left, so I'm definitely going to buy that. I absolutely buy it. I can't see anybody. Right now, the four top teams in the country are still going to be the top four teams in the country, even if they lose one game. Ohio State has the best quarterback in the country right now. He's probably the number one pick in the NFL. Michigan's one of the best defenses in the country, so I think both teams, win or lose, will still be in the college playoffs. Buy or sell. Mike White will have 200-plus yards and two touchdowns against the Chicago Bears. I am going to buy this one as well. Now, I don't think it's going to be like this massive game like you saw against the Bengals where he had that 400-yard performance. But I do think it will be enough because the Bears' secondary has been really bad this year. They were good in the beginning of the season but have really fallen off. The Jets' receivers are still very talented. I think it'll be in the range of a 220-yard performance and two touchdowns. And then the running game will do the rest because Chicago's been awful against the run all year. But I will definitely buy Mike White. Gives them spark. I absolutely believe Mike White will give him a spark. He's got a pretty good arm. He can make plays in the open field. Uh, They're going to let him throw the ball more because they trust him more than Zach Wilson being that he's a veteran quarterback. I look at Chicago. Their defense isn't good. They're one of the worst passing defenses in the NFL. I expect him to throw over 200 yards. I expect him to throw two or three touchdowns in the game. Does that make him the superstar quarterback the Jets want? No, but I think it's more than enough to give the Jets a win, so I'm going to buy that. One of the Mets or the Yankees will end up with one of the Japanese players rumored this offseason. Even though the Mets are in the rumors for Senga, I am going to sell this one. I think there's always a connection with those West Coast teams. Now, the Yankees have ended up with a couple of them, too, with Tanaka, with Keigawa, guys like that in the past. But it hasn't been a lot. Most of them have gone to the Angels, the Mariners. And I think Seattle's definitely a sleeper for that kind of thing, too, being their better team now. So I think both those guys will end up on the West Coast still. Maybe one with the Angels or Dodgers and one with Seattle. So I'll sell it. I like Yoshida. I really do. And I think if the Yankees lose Aaron Judge... Why not bring Yoshida in? He's not going to be expensive. He can hit for average. He gives him a little pop in that lineup. Being that there's no more shift, uh, the guy can hit all over the field. He would be the perfect fit for the Yankees, at least this year, where you don't have to overpay him. You don't have to give him over $100 million. You pay Yoshida $80, 70000000 million. You give him a three-, four-year deal. You fulfill what you need at that position for now. And then if you decide to go after Soto at the trade deadline or in the offseason or like Otani. And that could also draw Otani to the Yankees if you're bringing Yoshida. So there's a lot of things that the Yankees could do. It makes a lot of sense for the Yankees, not for the Mets. So I'm going to buy one of them is going to get one of those Japanese players. Eric Carlson will be treated by the 
end of this calendar year, so within the next month. This one I will sell. I think the Sharks are definitely going to want a hefty price for somebody like Carlson. I just don't know where the market is right now for a defenseman of that contract. His defense, even though he's played well offensively this year, has still been in regression for a while and there's not a lot of teams that need it right now the devils are a surprise team that have a, a splash this year but they already have dougie hamilton at that same kind of price and the rest of the league has been kind of steady i don't see a team like seattle making that kind of deal so i'm going to sell. going to buy it eric carlson wants out in san, san jose i think san jose will find a bidder or a buyer on eric carlson i don't know if they're going to get as much as they want back for him as the trade deadline gets closer be less and less but i do believe eric carlson's on his way out in San Jose. San Jose is not making the playoffs this year. They're up and down. They're not a good team. I think he wants to go to a Stanley Cup contender, so I absolutely buy that Eric Carlson will be in another jersey by the trade deadline. Back to some NFL. All three of Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett will all have 100 receiving yards in their matchup this week. This one I will sell. We talked about it last week with Fred Smoot how good Tariq Woolen has been playing this year, and I think he'll be able to limit Devontae Adams a lot in this game. I think he'll still have 70, 80 yards, but I don't see 100, and I think only one of Metcalf or Lockett will, as bad as the Raiders secondary has been. I think there'll still be a lot of a running game, too, so I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell it, too. It's very, very hard to get three wide receivers. If you look at last week, and how many wide receivers had over 100 yards and, and a touchdown, it was very, very few. The logical thought is maybe two out of the three have uh, 100 yards and maybe a touchdown, so I don't see three guys having over 100 yards. I'm going to sell it. One basketball one, Derek Rose or Emmanuel Quickly will be traded by the Knicks within the next month. I will sell this one as well. I think Quigley will be more likely to be traded, but I do think it will be later in the season. I don't really see the Knicks are in a massive rush right now. They still have a month or so to be able to establish which direction their team is. They're still kind of average right now a playing team. I just don't think it's too early. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it too for one reason. If the Knicks are in the playoff hunt, I don't know how much you're going to get for Quigley. I don't know how much you're going to get for Derrick Rose. So I don't think they'll trade him. Now, if they're out of the playoff or outside looking in, I could see them trading both of them. So I am going to sell that in the next month, they're not going to trade them. All right, last one. The U.S. World Cup soccer team. They need to win their final game against Iran on Tuesday. Buy or sell, they will get it done. This one I am going to buy. I think this is a letdown spot for Iran. They beat Wales in big fashion, in upset fashion, after Wales had that draw. I know Iran was supposed to be one of those higher elevated sleeper teams, but the U.S. had some good chances. Really outplayed England considering the talent level is not great, so I'm going to buy that one. I'm going to buy it too. I think somehow, some possible way, USA scores one or two goals in the game and gets it done and moves on in this tournament. But yeah, they had a good game, and they played very well on Friday against Team England. Everybody thought that it was a letdown game against the Wales team. They had a one nothing lead early in the game, and they lost the lead later in the game. They outplayed Wales in the game. I really believe in both games. They outplayed Wales, and they outplayed England in both those games, and they still couldn't come out a winner. I expect them to go and play Iran on Tuesday and come out a winner. I think they win one nothing or 2-1 to one in the game and move on in the tournament, so I absolutely am going to buy it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, 
is crunch time. Yes, Speedy will be back in the studio this coming week. He's right now in Connecticut visiting his family because of Thanksgiving, and I'm very happy when he gets back into the studio. Thank you to Rob Tob, NHL.com, and NHL producer for joining us. He was fantastic. Go check him out all over social media and his stories. Thank you to all the fans. Keep listening to us. We'll be back next week. Congratulations to the New York Islanders. Keep winning, baby. Keep winning. When we come back next week, I hopefully see the Islanders in first place over the Devils. Let's just hope. Thank you again to all the fans all over Long Island and New York for tuning in every single week, listening to us as we are the voices of Long Island sports. Good night, everybody.